Section 5 of An Editor's Tales by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Josephine de Montmorency. The little story which we are about to relate refers to circumstances which occurred some years ago, and we desire, therefore, that all readers may avoid the fault of connecting the personages of the tale, either the editor who suffered so much, and who behaved, we think, so well, or the ladies with whom he was concerned, with any editor or with any ladies known to such readers, either personally or by name. For though the story as told is a true story, we who tell it have used such craft in the telling that we defy the most astute to fix the time or to recognize the characters. It will be sufficient if the curious will accept it as a fact that at some date since magazines became common in the land, a certain editor, sitting in his office, came upon the perusal of the following letter, addressed to him by name. 19 King Charles Street, 1st May, 18 blank. Dear Sir, I think that literature needs no introduction, and judging of you by the character which you have made for yourself in its paths, I do not doubt but you will feel as I do. I shall therefore write to you without reserve. I am a lady not possessing that modesty which should make me hold a low opinion of my own talents, and equally free from that feeling of self-belittlement which induces so many to speak humbly while they think proudly of their own acquirements. Though I am still young, I have written much for the press, and I believe I may boast that I have sometimes done so successfully. Hitherto I have kept back my name, but I hope soon to be allowed to see it on the title-page of a book which shall not shame me. My object in troubling you is to announce the fact, agreeable enough to myself, that I have just completed a novel in three volumes, and to suggest to you that it should make its first appearance to the world in the pages of the magazine under your control. I will frankly tell you that I am not myself fond of this mode of publication, but Messrs. X, Y, Z of Paternoster Row, with whom you are doubtless acquainted, have assured me that such will be the better course. In these matters one is still terribly subject to the tyranny of the publishers, who surely of all cormorants are the most greedy, and of all tyrants are the most arrogant. Though I have never seen you, I know you too well to suspect for a moment that my words will ever be repeated to my respectable friends in the row. Shall I wait upon you with my manuscript, or will you call for it? Or perhaps it may be better that I should send it to you. Young ladies should not run about, even after editors, and it might be so probable that I should not find you at home. Messrs. X, Y, and Z have read the manuscript, or more probably the young man whom they keep for the purpose has done so, and the nod of approval has been vouchsafed. Perhaps this may suffice, but if a second examination be needful, the work is at your service. Yours faithfully, and in hopes of friendly relations, Josephine de Montmorency. 
I am English, though my unfortunate name will sound French in your ears. For facility in telling of our story, we will call this especial editor Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown's first feeling on reading the letter was decidedly averse to the writer. But such is always the feeling of editors to would-be contributors, though contributions are the very food on which an editor must live. But Mr. Brown was an unmarried man who loved the rustle of feminine apparel, who delighted in the brightness of a woman's eye, when it would be bright for him, and was not indifferent to the touch of a woman's hand. As editors go, or went then, he knew his business, and was not wont to deluge his pages with weak feminine wear in return for smiles and flattering speeches, as editors have done before now. But still he liked an adventure, and was perhaps afflicted by some slight flaw of judgment in consequence of which the words of pretty women found with him something of preponderating favor. Who is there that will think evil of him because it was so? He read the letter a second time, and did not send that curt, heart-rending answer which is so common to editors. The editor's compliments and thanks, but his stock of novels is at present so great that he cannot hope to find room for the work which has been so kindly suggested. Of King Charles Street, Brown could not remember that he had ever heard, and he looked it out at once in the directory. There was a King Charles Street in Camden Town, at number 19 of which street was stated that a Mr. Puffle resided. But this told him nothing. Josephine de Montmorency might reside with Mrs. Puffle in Camden Town, and yet write a good novel, or be a very pretty girl. And there was a something in the tone of the letter which made him think that the writer was no ordinary person. She wrote with confidence. She asked no favor, and then she declared that Messrs. X, Y, Z, with whom Mr. Brown was intimate, had read and approved her novel. Before he answered the note, he would call in the row and ask a question or two. He did call, and saw Mr. Z. Mr. Z remembered well that the manuscript had been in their house. He rather thought that X, who was out of town, had seen Miss Montmorency, perhaps on more than one occasion. The novel had been read, and, well, Mr. Z would not quite say approved, but it had been thought that there was a good deal in it. "'I think I remember X telling me that she was an uncommon pretty young woman,' said Z. "'And there is some mystery about her. I didn't see her myself, but I am sure there was a mystery.' Mr. Brown made up his mind that he would at any rate see the manuscript. He felt disposed to go at once to Camden Town, but still had fears that in doing so he might seem to make himself too common. There are so many things of which an editor is required to think. It is almost essential that they who are ambitious of serving under him should believe that he is enveloped in manuscripts from morning to night that he cannot call an hour his own, that he is always bringing out that periodical of his in a frenzy of mental exertion, that he is to be approached only with difficulty, and that a call from him is a visit from a god. Mr. Brown was a Jupiter, 
willing enough on occasion to go a little out of his way after some literary leader, or even on behalf of a Danae, desirous of a price for her compositions. But he was obliged to acknowledge to himself that the occasion had not as yet arisen. So he wrote to the young lady as follows. Office of the Olympus Magazine, 4th May, 18 blank. The editor presents his compliments to Miss de Montmorency, and will be very happy to see her manuscript. Perhaps she will send it to the above address. The editor has seen Mr. Z of Paternoster Row, who speaks highly of the work. A novel, however, may be very clever and yet hardly suit a magazine. Should it be accepted by the Olympus, some time must elapse before it appears. The editor would be very happy to see Miss de Montmorency if it would suit her to call any Friday between the hours of two and three. When the note was written, Mr. Brown felt that it was cold, but then it behoves an editor to be cold. A gushing editor would ruin any publication within six months. Young women are very nice. Pretty young women are especially nice. And of all pretty young women, clever young women who write novels are perhaps as nice as any. But to an editor they are dangerous. Mr. Brown was at this time about forty and had had his experiences. The letter was cold, but he was afraid to make it warmer. It was sent, and when he received the following answer, it may fairly be said that his editorial hair stood on end. Dear Mr. Brown, I hate you and your compliments. That sort of communication means nothing, and I won't send you my manuscript unless you are more in earnest about it. I know the way in which rolls of paper are shoved into pigeonholes and left there till they are musty while the writer's hearts are being broken. My heart may be broken some day, but not in that way. I won't come to you between two and three on Friday. It sounds a great deal too like a doctor's appointment, and I don't think much of you if you are only at your work one hour in the week. Indeed, I won't go to you at all. If an interview is necessary, you can come here. But I don't know that it will be necessary. Old X is a fool and knows nothing about it. My own approval is to me very much more than his. I don't suppose he'd know the inside of a book if he saw it. I have given the very best that is in me to my work, and I know that it is good. Even should you say that it is not, I shall not believe you. But I don't think you will say so, because I believe you, in truth, to be a clever fellow, in spite of your compliments and your two and three o'clock on a Friday. If you want to see my manuscript, say so with some earnestness, and it shall be conveyed to you. And please to say how much I shall be paid for it, for I am as poor as Job. And name a date. I won't be put off with your some time must elapse. It shall see the light, or at least a part of it, within six months. That is my intention. And don't talk nonsense to me about clever novels not suiting magazines, unless you mean that as an excuse for publishing so many stupid ones as you do. You will see that I am frank, but I really do mean what I say. I want it to come out in the Olympus, 
and if we can, I shall be so happy to come to terms with you. Yours as I find you, Josephine de Montmorency, Thursday, King Charles Street. This was an epistle to startle an editor as coming from a young lady, but yet there was something in it that seemed to imply strength. Before answering it, Mr. Brown did a thing which he must be presumed to have done as a man and not as an editor. He walked off to King Charles Street in Camden Town and looked at the house. It was a nice little street, very quiet, very genteel, completely made up with what we vaguely call gentlemen's houses, with two windows to each drawing-room and with a balcony to some of them, the prettiest balcony in the street belonging to number 19, near the park, and equally removed from poverty and splendor. Brown walked down the street on the opposite side towards the park and looked up at the house. He intended to walk at once homewards across the park to his own little home in St. John's Wood Road. But when he had passed half a street away from the Puffle residence, he turned to have another look and retraced his steps. As he passed the door, it was opened, and there appeared upon the steps one of the prettiest little women he had ever seen in his life. She was dressed for walking, with that jaunty, broad, open bonnet which women then wore, and seemed, as some women do seem, to be an amalgam of softness, prettiness, archness, fun, and tenderness, and she carried a tiny blue parasol. She was fair, gray-eyed, dimpled, all alive, and dressed so nicely and yet simply that Mr. Brown was carried away for the moment by a feeling that he would like to publish her novel, let it be what it might. And he heard her speak. Charles, she said, you shan't smoke. Our editor could, of course, only pass on, and had not an opportunity of ever seeing Charles. At the corner of the street he turned round and saw them walking the other way. Josephine was leaning on Charles' arm. She had, however, distinctly avowed herself to be a young lady, in other words, an unmarried woman. There was, no doubt, a mystery, and Mr. Brown felt it to be incumbent on him to fathom it. His next letter was as follows. My dear Miss de Montmorency, I am sorry that you should hate me and my compliments. I had intended to be as civil and nice as possible. I am quite in earnest, and you had better send me the manuscript. As to all the questions you ask, I cannot answer them to any purpose till I have read the story, which I will promise to do without subjecting it to the pigeonholes. If you do not like Friday, you shall come on Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, or Thursday, or Saturday, or even on Sunday if you wish it and at any hour, only let it be fixed. Yours faithfully, Jonathan Brown, Friday. In the course of the next week the novel came, with another short note to which was attached no ordinary beginning or ending. I send my treasure, and remember I will have it back in a week if you do not intend to keep it. I have not five pounds left in the world, and I owe my milliner ever so much, and money at the stables where I get a horse, and I am determined to go to Dieppe in July. 
all must come out of my novel, so do be a good man. If you are, I will see you. Herein she declared plainly her own conviction that she had so far moved the editor by her correspondence, for she knew nothing, of course, of that ramble of his through King Charles Street, as to have raised in his bosom a desire to see her. Indeed, she made no secret of such conviction. Do as I wish, she said plainly, and I will gratify you by a personal interview. But the interview was not to be granted till the novel had been accepted and the terms fixed, such terms, too, as it would be very improbable that any editor could accord. Not so black as he's painted. That was the name of the novel which it now became the duty of Mr. Brown to read. When he got at home he found that the writing was much worse than that of the letters. It was small and crowded, and carried through without those technical demarcations which are so comfortable to printers and so essential to readers. The erasures were numerous, and bits of the story were written, as it were, here and there. It was a manuscript to which Mr. Brown would not have given a second glance had there not been an adventure behind it. The very sending of such a manuscript to any editor would have been an impertinence if it were sent by any but a pretty woman. Mr. Brown, however, toiled over it and did read it. Read it, or at least enough of it, to make him know what it was. The verdict which Mr. Z had given was quite true. No one could have called the story stupid. No mentor experienced in such matters would have ventured on such evidence to tell the aspirant that she had mistaken her walk in life, and had better sit at home and darn her stockings. Out of those heaps of ambitious manuscripts which are daily subjected to professional readers, such verdicts may safely be given in regard to four-fifths either that the aspirant should darn her stockings, or that he should prune his fruit-trees. It is equally so with the works of one sex as with those of the other. The necessity of saying so is very painful, and the actual stocking, or the fruit-tree itself, is not often named. The cowardly professional reader, indeed, unable to endure those thorns in the flesh of which poor Thackeray spoke so feelingly, when hard-pressed for definite answers, generally lies. He has been asked to be candid, but he cannot bring himself to undertake a duty so onerous, so odious, and one as to which he sees so little reason that he personally should perform it. But in regard to these aspirations, to which have been given so much labors, which have produced so many hopes, offsprings which are so dear to the poor parents, the decision at least is easy. And there are others in regard to which a hopeful reader finds no difficulty, as to which he feels assured that he is about to produce to the world the fruit of some new-found genius. But there are doubtful cases which worry the poor judge till he knows not how to trust his own judgment. At this page he says, Yes, certainly, at the next he shakes his head as he sits alone amidst his papers. Then he is dead against the aspirant. Again there is improvement, and he asks himself, where is he to find anything that is better? As our editor read Josephine's novel, 
he had learned to call her Josephine in that silent speech in which most of us indulge, and which is so necessary to an editor. He was divided between yes and no throughout the whole story. Once or twice he found himself wiping his eyes, and then it was all yes with him. Then he found the pages ran with a cruel heaviness, which seemed to demand decisive editorial severity. A whole novel, too, is so great a piece of business. There would be such difficulty were he to accept it. How much must he cut out? How many of his own hours must he devote to the repairing of mutilated sentences and the remodeling of indistinct scenes? In regard to a small piece, an editor, when moved that way, can afford to be good-natured. He can give to it the hour or so of his own work which it may require and if after all it be nothing, or as will happen sometimes, much worse than nothing, the evil is of short duration. In admitting such a thing he has done an injury, but the injury is small. It passes in the crowd and is forgotten. The best Homer that ever edited must sometimes nod, but a whole novel, a piece of work that would last him perhaps for twelve months, no editor can afford to nod for so long a period. But then this tale, this novel of Not So Black As He's Painted, this story of a human devil, for whose crimes no doubt some Byronic apology was made with great elaboration by the sensational Josephine, was not exactly bad. Our editor had wept over it, some tender-hearted Medora, who, on behalf of her hyena in love, had gone through miseries enough to kill half a regiment of heroines, had dimmed the judge's eyes with tears. What stronger proof of excellence can an editor have? But then there were those long pages of metaphysical twaddle, sure to elicit scorn and neglect from old and young. They at any rate must be cut out. But in the cutting of them out, a very mincemeat would be made of the story. And yet Josephine de Montmorency, with her impudent little letters, had already made herself so attractive. What was our editor to do? End of section five. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.